Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling in association with Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. I'm Graham Wilgos, and Brad, we're recording one week before the Tour de France on a day when it seems everything is happening at once. It is, uh, yes. First of all, how are you? Good, thank you. Just me and you this week. Just me and you. For well, the we... big one, isn't it? The Tour de France special. Indeed. Well, we might have to start doing daily podcasts from now on, given the greatest show on earth is upon us. Well, we will be doing a couple of weeks, won't we? We will be. Well, we'll be doing bonus podcasts every day. It now seems like a very good time to mention it. The drama's already started, hasn't it? Because we've had some big news the last couple of days. All of, Well, big news the last couple of hours. So we're recording at the end of, of a week when Ineos have announced that neither Chris Froome nor Geraint Thomas will ride the tour. Uh, that plenty more news has happened just today. We will get on to that. Uh, very, very shortly. But let's start with Froome and G. Um, the first time that neither have featured in the tour since 2009. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave Brailsford, true to form, is, is picking on form. Yeah, and, um, you know, all the all the opinions and views we've been giving up to now have all been based on the assumption they would be riding. Obviously, with the, there was a, a small question mark about Chris Froome and whether he'd get selected, but no one probably anticipated G not getting selected. Um, and I think we probably take it as a given as a previous winner that his status in the team means that he would always be selected for the tour. But, you know, this is what makes Dave Brailsford such a good manager, probably why he's been so successful, really. Um, and I experienced this myself within the team that, you know, no one's really bigger than the team. And he can, he can take that emotion to one side and select a team purely on his assets and um, the form guide, really. And this year has been a very very peculiar year with everything that's gone on and there wasn't much to go on in terms of form and you know facts in terms of who's going to be in in the best position to perform well I mean the season's what a month old now and we're already at the Tour de France so there's not been a lot of time to assess things but you know Dave's now spreading his his players because two or three days after the tour finishes we've got the Giro which is you know never happened before and then of course not long after that we got the Vuelta really so They've made Agan as the previous winner, who's clearly the man. And, you know, they don't make these selections um, lightly. There's a lot of thought goes into it. There's a lot of numbers and facts. And Bernal's clearly the one that they are putting their, you know, their, their money on. Um, with it, with also the, the addition of Carapace, who's riding, of course, last year's Giro winner. I mean, we're looking at probably a two-pronged attack, really. And he's probably an outside bet. You know, no one, no one's really spoke about him at this stage, have we? Um, and we don't know what condition he's in or what form. Um, but the fact he's in that team ahead of Garain, and that would suggest that you know he's going well. But I don't see it as a negative thing. I mean, it's you know, as I say, they've always had this plan or goal to win all three Grand Tours in a season. And um, Garain's got another month now to to get himself um, into the shape he wants to be in. And you know, the fact he's riding the Giro, you'd have to say he's going to be a contender for it. We should say on Carapaz, so he was supposed to be doing the Giro. Obviously, he's been pulled into the tour team. He was very impressive at the Tour of Poland, took a stage there. So it's fair to say we can expect big things from him comparatively in the tour. 
back to G and, and Froome, we've seen very dignified video messages from them both, which you'd imagine must have been very difficult to do to, to front up to the camera, given that, I mean, both of them have made their, their career on the Tour de France. Mm. Um, how are they going to be feeling? As an athlete, how are you going to be feeling? You've targeted the Tour all year. You've, you've talked about coming back for the Tour in Froome's case. It's going to be very difficult for them emotionally, isn't it? Well, I think it's more the external perception and external opinions that makes it hard because... People assume that they'll be disappointed or um, kind of upset or anything. So it's the continued questions, you know, like the video messages, you know, you know, is, it, is he just saying that because he has to and, you know, be professional in that. But as an athlete, you know, as previous winners, they don't want to go to the tour if they're not quite in the shape they were in the last few years and fall away from the, from the GC and then have to ask questions during the tour. Um, you know, they're, they're professional athletes and winning has become the standard now. Winning has become the norm in that team and the standard. You know, in some cases, there is no second place now in the tour for that team. Um, and once you've won it, there is no second place for the likes of Grant Thomas and Chris Froome, really. Um, you know, Chris finished third in the tour when G won it. And um, it, that's not his sort of defining point in his career where people go, oh, he finished third in the Tour de France. It's Chris only finished third. He didn't win it because he's won it so many times. So... And Dave, that's the respect he has for those guys. And they're his biggest players. So you'll spread them over the other two grand tours, which are just as important. Um, and that's that's the, um, you know, they've, they've got so many big players in that team that they can they can afford to do that. Um, but no, G, look, G would be the first rider, along with Luke Rowe, on any Tour de France list. And you'd have to say G is equal to Luke Rowe in doing that job because G can ride on the flats, he can ride Paris-Roubaix, et cetera. The job that Luke Rowe does... Geraint could do for an egg and bow now. But G's become too big now, and it's not beneath him. It's not that. It's just, you know, there's a chance for him to win the Giro d'Italia. So why would Dave put G in the tour to perform that role and finish 20th or 30th on GC when someone else could do that job when G can have an opportunity? Look, you know, winning's the norm for those guys now, and G's at that standard where he should be targeting grand tours. And it's it's almost that he's not paid to do the role Luke Rowe is paid to do. That he's paid to do that. So... If Grant had the form, he'd he'd be in that tour team because you don't leave it, you don't leave Grant Thomas out of a tour team and lightly you, that's a big decision to make. And Grant would have been part of that decision. You know, he's um, one of the best teammates I've ever had. He's committed. He's hard. Nothing phases him. Um, he's good to have around. He's so calm. Nothing really gets to him. Um, and so Grant will be the first to say, "I don't think I'm in the form." to be a potential winner of that race, although I could perform a role at the first parts of the mountain and then maybe fall away towards the top. It's, you know, Dave would have said, well, you're better than that, you know, four more weeks training and you can win the Giro. Um, and that's what they're going to do. And G would have been part of that decision. So I, th I imagine that G's, it's a relief more than anything because you think of the pressure he would have been under the last four, five, six weeks where he's going, not quite where I was this time last year. The tour's only four weeks away. And once the decision's announced and made, there's almost a relief, like, you know, because going into the Tour de France, you're never going to go into the tour and say, I'm actually not in the condition I was last year, because you're never going to give that away as an athlete um, to, your, to your competitors. So there's a pressure there that you know that I'm probably going to get dropped at some point because I haven't got the form I did have last year. And when you do get dropped, then you you know, how do you feel? You've fallen away. Is you disappointed? It's like, well, I kind of knew this was going to happen. I just, you know, hoped that it, something might turn out. So he'll be relieved. Froome's on a forward trajectory um, from where he's come from. As he said in his message, um, 
you know, where, he's, where he was this time last year, you know, and, you know, he's got a chance to win the Vuelta. I mean, that, I wouldn't put it past him, but it'll certainly be up there. And he's got another eight weeks now to get ready for that. So it is what it is. As I said, they don't make these decisions lightly. There's a lot of thought process, a lot of facts and evidence and numbers that go into it. And ultimately, it's about the team winning and not nationalities or emotions and loyalties. And everyone is part of that decision in that team. You said it will give Froome forward momentum. I mean, in terms of his his next season with Israel Startup Nation, um, is that what he's going to be looking at now? So he's, he's targeting the Vuelta and he can roll that into his new season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's... Um, as you say, he's, he's, every week he'll be progressing and getting better and seeing improvement. Um, the, the, the tour's probably, you know, if it'd been in July, it'd have been too soon for him, so he wouldn't have made But the romantic vision we had of him coming back and winning the tour after the horrendous accident last year was probably asking too much of him, really, or, or maybe, you know, kind of in an ideal world. But for sure, I mean, what, what's the vault in November this year? It will finish in November. So it will begin uh, the last week of October. Yeah. And then obviously there's two months and Chris Froome will probably start racing in earnest in January next year. So this is actually going to make, assist him in many ways because he's not got an off season that he's going to have to contend with now. He'll just carry on straight through next year. And by the time we get to the Tour de France next year, all being well and, and no outbreaks of Corona, et cetera, um, with a new team, they've made some big signings the last few weeks. We could certainly say that Chris Froome will be back at the Tour de France as a leader next year because he's signed for that team as a leader, going for number five. What that means for Grant Thomas now, especially with the addition of Carapace, and if he performs at the Tour this year and gets up there, you know, how does Grant Thomas break back into that sort of system and that? It's so once you miss a Tour mm. in that setup, there's always someone else that could step into that position. And then it almost becomes difficult to re reassert yourself as happened last year with Bernal, and there was question marks, who's going to lead can Geraint as a previous winner, which obviously started back when I was do doing it with Chris Froome. So it shows you the strength and depth in that team and the forward planning. And of course, the news today, which also broke for next year, the new edition of... Adam Yates, yeah. signing for Ineos. So, I mean, it's it's. I was going to come on to, it will be the first time this year for, for Ineos uh, or Sky as they were, where they're not going to be gunning for a Brit on GC. Um, so it feels very much like an end of an era. Well, yeah. Um, I was speaking to Mark Cavendish during the week about this. And, um, you know, that it's been 10 years, hasn't it? And, um, you know, a British team at the Tour de France, you know, a British winner. And we've had a few now. Um, but obviously, Egan last year um, for Colombia. So, yeah, but it's the first time now. It, 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 you almost get a sense that although the team has largely got some British contenders and next year office, Adam comes along. I think he's the next one they're going to start to build as the next British Tour winner. If you consider that Grant, Thomas and Froome are into their sort of 30s and will be in their mid-30s in a couple of years. Um, so they're now looking at Adam Yates. That's the one they seem to have gone for. But it does feel like, you know, the mantra and the kind of what they were all about has sort of, you know, gone, gone over the years to this point, really. And I think it is now... Not a British team at the Tour de France, really, is it? Although it's a British-backed team, et cetera, et cetera, British-led and, and, and a history of British riders and a culture there. Um, they've kind of achieved that now, haven't they, that whole British thing. And, and they have transitioned into, it's just an international team now that needs to win. Um, and they, they achieved that goal and it's, they're 10 years in now. And the, sort of, the whole plan, the mission sort of statement has changed and... It has to, I suppose. You know, they can't 
keep to that thing that it always has to be a British winner. I mean, they've got the backing as well and the finance to, to have four or five big leaders as well, which also helps. But that, that does not take away anything from the professionalism and the planning that goes in and, and Dave at the helm, etc. So they'll be, they'll, they'll be the favourites for the Tour this year, you know, one of them. They're still your favourites? Yeah. Uh, and, and Ineos rider will still win the Tour? Yeah, I mean, Roglic um, seems in supreme form. He, he could really challenge, but depending how much this crash has affected him in the Dauphiné, um, hopefully we'll still see him up there. And, and obviously Jumbo are still the team to rival them with Dumoulin, etc. Kreisvik, he's going to be out now, isn't he? Kreiswick will now do the Giro, um, but they've still got, I mean, they've still got a supreme lineup. When you, so they've got Roglic, Dumoulin, George Bennett, Sepkus, who, who was uh, on brilliant form at the Dauphiné and, and took the, the final stage so impressively too. Uh, Robert Hessink, Tony Martin, and of course, the, 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 the man of the rebooted season so far in Wout van Aert. Yeah, I mean, I would say they've got, across the board, they've got a stronger, complete squad than Ineos. But, Ineos have probably got one or two the star players, you know, kind of over Yumbo, although that's not to be take anything away from Yumbo. I mean, it's, they're very evenly matched, but still Ineos probably still have the edge. But Yumbo, with the strength and depth they've got across the whole board, they're going to have numbers every day in that final. Um, and that's probably something that Ineos considered when selecting that team, you know, because you throw Geraint Thomas into that Ineos team straight away, it evens it up slightly. Um, but... Bernal and Carapaz, you know, it, what it might mean is we don't see the legendary Sky Train or the Ineos Train like we used to. And we didn't see that last year. And there was a lot of talk about that. You know, they're not doing the train like they did in the past. And um, But they got the job done. Um, mm. And they did lack in numbers a lot last year at crucial moments, although they still won. And that's where Yumbo will probably be stronger than them. And that, that might come into it in terms of... Um, outgunning Ineos. Do we expect Yumbo to control the race in the same way that we might have seen the Sky train of old? It depends on who takes the jersey mm. and how late on. I mean, obviously, Bernal took the jersey quite late into the race last year. So I took the jersey after seven days and we defended for 14. So it wasn't like we were ever going to lose the jersey and, and try and play a tactical race so you didn't have to ride. So it's just how the race pans out. Um, and there's no time trial in that first week is there or second week is the, right, the only time trial right is the, end, the yeah the the penultimate stage two sorry yeah. Laplanche de Belfi last year we had a time trial didn't we and, and and had there been a time trial this year someone like Roglic could have maybe took the jersey and then you've no you've no choice but to defend and ride so as I said the other week I think this is going to come down to the last day and that could be a bit of cat and mouse throughout the race as to who takes up the ride in who does this and there might be a bit of um kind of of a bit of a stalemate at times and that's where the likes of uh, Thibaut Pinot could benefit as we did last year when he sort of jumped around. So I think it's going to be, make for a really good race. Just bring us around full circle on Froome and G's exclusion from the tour squad. From your own experience, how does Dave B deal with that? Does he come to you, knock on your door and say, look, I'm sure you saw this coming. He's been described as, as uh, stabbing his riders in the front. No, no, he doesn't. It's not like that at all. He, he, there's c constant communication, especially with the, the trainers, etc. And, um, you know, he, he'll be in communication with Geraint and Froome all the time. And, and they'll foresee this, you know. It's not a case of like getting to a week from the tour and everyone wondering what Dave's thinking and then announcing it. And going, I didn't make it. You know, like when you sort of the, the classic see the team sheet in the changing room before you go out to the, I didn't make the team, I'm on the bench. Yeah, what, will you make the World Cup squad? It's not really like that. Um, it's, and I've seen, you know, going back to football, I've seen like, like Gary Neville talking about why Alex Ferguson was so good in that. 
he would talk to them and say, you know, look, there's, this game this weekend is not for you, but in two weeks I'm really going to need you. You know, and, and and that's probably how good management works like that. And Dave, so Dave would have been in constant communication. So G would have said to him a month ago, you know, perhaps not where I am this time last year, but we still got four weeks, etc. Um, and then they'll go to training camp, and the numbers will correlate with that. And so Dave would reassure him at that point and say, well, look, we keep going. It's been a strange year because it's not the end of the world if you don't make the tour because we could always got the Giro afterwards, you know, and, and reassure him like that. So don't panic, you know, just keep going. It's been a tough year for everyone. You know, you, he, G's not letting the team down because they've still got other people that can do that. And so that would have it would have been handled like that. So they probably made this decision after the Dauphiné, really. Mm. And G probably would be the first to say, um, I'm probably not, you know, kind of where I was this time last year, but I'll be good enough to do a job for it again. And Dave would have said, well, you're a winner, G, and, you know, we want to put you in the best position to win the biggest race in the world. Um, we can have, we've got other riders that can do that job. So why don't you go for the Giro and you've got a chance to win the Giro? And don't worry about it at all. Don't stress about it. And G would have been part of that decision. And Chris would have been the same. So that's how they operate. And that's how they keep the morale up and the function. It's the, they give the respect to the riders in that sense. Given they've got another GC man coming in in Adam Yates, does G stick around long term? This is the way the team goes, isn't it? They're always thinking ahead. And obviously with Adam coming in now, um, so, you know, Carapaz, um, Bernal's already sort of made his mark in that team. Adam coming in. But yeah, I mean, this is the, the, the difficulty they have every year is, is once you've won a tour and someone else steps into that position, it's like we're now asking the question like we did with the Froome a few, few times, you know, will G ever win another tour now? What does this mean for G? And that's sort of, it's moved to G now. And, you know, that probably started with me um, years ago. So... It's the nature of the team. It's, it's, you know, I had described it in the past as cutthroat and that might be a bit harsh, but it's, it's the reality of elite sport in that, you know, no one's bigger than the team and it's about the team winning ultimately and not the individuals um, because that's the duty they have to the sponsors that are paying the money. And um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. G, G will be part of that decision as well and I'm sure he'll, I mean, certainly he's got capability to win another tour, that's for sure. Um, whether he does or not, if Egan wins his second tour now, and dominates next season, etc. Then it's clear that G is going to struggle to get back to that leadership role. One more bit of news from the day we're recording is Cav. We talk about him a lot uh, for obvious reasons, but he's not been selected for the tour once again. Mm. Um, you've spoken to him this week. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to him. He he told me a few days ago. Um, again, he was part of that decision. It's that it's not the case that he's not been selected for the tour. He he voiced that he probably, the tour's going to be too hard for him this year. There's only two sprint stages. He also recognised, which is the, 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 the sort of the class and dignity of Mark, that Lander is going really well and he's got a great chance to do something in this tour and maybe they should put more riders around him. So Cav was the first one to put his hands up and say, look, I'm going to take myself out the running um, because I don't think, um, I think the tour's going to be too hard for me. There's two sprint stages. There's not enough opportunities in for it. And rather than selfishly put himself in the mix, um, he, he took himself out that and realised, again, it's about the team winning and, and that you should probably take more numbers for Lander because, again, two shots at winning a stage, you know, is is um, probably not enough opportunity for him, really. So that, that just shows kind of the mark of him as a, an athlete and a person. And um, he was quite relieved as well to have um, kind of that that decision's been made. And then once it gets announced, it's not a disappointment for him. I think it was last year because... He wasn't part of that decision last year. They decided for him the team, whereas this year it was very much 
he was in control and, and, and was part of that decision. And um, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's more relief from his point of view because had he been at the tour and knew that the, it probably wasn't enough opportunities for him and, and then something happened like the other year where he didn't perform in the first few sprints and then got um, eliminated on that stage, then it, it's more pressure, more questions, you know, this, that and the other. So I can tell you now he's, he's quite relieved and, and very kind of humble about it. Obvious question, is he going to ride the Tour de France again? Um, I mean, that, the Tour is changing every year, isn't it? Um, I mean, Mark said there's probably two sprint stages this year. Um, and it seems like the structure of the race has changed in the last few years, isn't it? It seems to get tougher and tougher. Um, and the racing seems, the pattern of the race is different. Um, it remains to be seen. Um, he could be a year older. Maybe we won't ever see the Mark Cavendish, but don't forget, his best years, 2008, 2009. I mean, we're talking you know, 11, 12 years ago now. And so, Sounds like another lifetime ago. Know, it's not a crime that, you know, he gets older and the other sprinters come through. But yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be the decider of that, as he was this year. And whether we don't see him again at the Tour, let's not forget what Yaz done at the Tour. You know, there's always this thing with Mark that, you know, oh, is he ever going to catch Eddie Merckx? I don't think it ever matters if he's... 30 will do, won't it? 30 compared to 34 isn't yeah. bad. Yeah, so... Let's, let's appreciate what he has done rather than constantly worry about what he hasn't done. Remco Evanapol. We've mm. seen him walking on crutches uh, yeah. this week, which is heartening. Brilliant, isn't it? And he's been quite open on social media, hasn't he? Showing us his, his improvement and that. And he's looked quite happy. The news of the last few weeks with the crashes we've had, it's, that's really nice, isn't it? And I actually saw he put a screenshot of a tweet up with him and Jakobsen, which was lovely. They were communicating today. I think it was on his story. I didn't see that. Yeah. So he's put up uh, a conversation between the two of Jakobsen's messaging him going, I hope you're all right, mate. And he's saying, yeah. And that's great, isn't it? So that shows that Jakobsen is... Is know, able to think about... Well, yeah, able to think about more than his own situation, which is a, which is a great that's sign. That's what we all want and hoped for a couple of weeks ago after what we saw. So, you know, as as so much has gone on already in this season and obviously that so much horrific stuff as well. That's a great, you know, it's just great to see that, isn't it? Because, um, and, and that's the beauty of social media. You know, we were talked about the last few weeks that, you know, the negative sides of social media. It's great that those guys share their recovery with the world because it actually makes us feel pretty good that, you know, that we're not worried about them anymore. Has this week been a positive or negative experience for you on social media? I mean, a bit of both, presumably, as ever it is. Yeah, when Geraint got announced, he went right, and I had quite a few morons. Can't, yeah. What do you feel now, Brad? Did Geraint, how's he going to win now? He's not even on the start list. I was like, um, yeah, I mean, I don't sit up at night worrying about this. It was just an opinion based on the fact we thought he might be riding, but now he isn't. Yeah, great. But I don't know. It's just, um, I, I just find those sort of things entertaining now, really. Um, have you been replying to them again? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I have. <laughs> what have yeah. you been saying? Just uh, give us an idea. Yeah, I mean, I did a lengthy one. Some bloke, he said, I think he said, um, you know, Froome put you into retirement. Um, and I think I said, uh, I think it was the fact I was 36 and I started wanted to crave normality, wanted to be a father that put me into retirement. But and I finished on the fifth Olympic gold, but that so that will do. But if you're happy with that and that believe that, then then go for it. It's comedic, isn't it? Another one now you'll see Bernal win. I hope he does win. I like him somehow. They somehow the assumption that that just giving the opinion that I think Geraint's got a tour winning him or gonna maybe win this tour that I somehow live and die by that and wake up every day hoping it's true. Um, but as I said, there are a lot of idiots around the world and now they've got a platform. So Brad, one other news item to pick up today um, is that the, the Tour de France organisers will, will be introducing a two strikes and you're out rule. So mm. if 
uh, any of the teams, any of the any of the mechanics, any of the wider teams, uh, any of them show symptoms of of starting to contract COVID, there's a two strikes and you're out rule. And this will be introduced from August the 26th. So yeah. three days before the tour begins. Well, we're lucky to have a tour, aren't we, really, with all the everything that's gone on this year. And, um, you know, we have to appreciate that, you know, people have lost lives for this. This is this is not just, we've not just made this up and invented it. It's um, about the safety of everyone, really. And, you know, people can't just willy-nilly carry on going around spreading it because it will spread again, won't it? I mean, it's, um, it's quite easy to forget at this point. That it, we, it seems like we're so far from it and, and so far from the beginning the of lockdown. And the cycling. You know, that, the, the disease is bigger than the sport. And um, as I say, we're lucky to have a race. Everyone's got to, you know, kind of comply with it in order to make this work. And it, it, at the end of the day, it's about the safety of society. Okay, we'll be right back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off your bike. Lacquer has flipped outdated traditional insurance on its head with no more fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your max monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. Plus, 80% of your money goes straight back into the collective, fixing, replacing and helping. And the other 20% keeps their wheels spinning. It's as simple as that. And when things go bad, Lacquer's got your back. Claims are handled by experts and usually agreed within a day, with no depreciation or excess. They've ditched annual contracts locking you in. With Lacquer, if you want to leave, you can, anytime. Head over to www.lacquer.co, where new customers can get £10 credit by signing up today with the discount code WIGGINS. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, sponsored by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. It's going to be a very different year for everybody at the Tour, Brad, not just the riders. Um, Orla Shenoui might have expected to be presenting from the Eurosport sofa alongside you. Instead, she's going to be reporting from her own sofa back home in Amsterdam. I caught up with Orla to find out a little bit more about what the race will be like for her and the people reporting on it. Um, and I also asked her what her predictions for the Tour will be. Orla Shenoui, welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show. Thank you very much, Graham. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you for making the time for us. You are so well versed in presenting a grand tour from a television point of view by now. Um, it will be very different for you this year, as things will be very different for all of us. Give us an idea of what we can expect from you, what you're going to be doing. Yeah, it's a funny old year, isn't it? Um, so I was supposed to be presenting again the Grand Tours for Eurosport and uh, now for GCN. Um, but unfortunately, COVID is obviously getting in the way of lots of things. And my my work casualty is a small uh, blip on that radar. But uh, because the UK reintroduced quarantine with the Netherlands, I now live in the in Amsterdam, uh, they reintroduced quarantine. And so I can't make it over to the UK to work. But um, I have promised Dan Lloyd that he can borrow some of my finest dresses and heels. So he will be um, taking the hot seat. Um, and I am going to be still involved in the show every day. The guys at Eurosport and uh, GCN have done an amazing job trying to 
keep me involved in it. So I'm going to be taking part in the program from Amsterdam. So I will be um, keeping across everything that people are sending in on social media. I'll be doing remote interviews, hopefully with DSs, with riders, with other relevant people and doing different inserts into the show every day. So it'll be brilliant to still get involved. I'll still be asking Dan and Brad and any others in the studio questions. Um, But yeah, it's just going to be a different look and feel this year. But, you know, a change is as good as a rest and it'll be nice to try something new, I think. I'm really excited about my involvement with it and I'm really excited about the tour getting underway, as I'm quite sure everybody is. Presumably no one will be more excited than Dan, given the, <laughs> given the new wardrobe he's got to look forward to. <laughs> he's a lucky boy. Yes. Uh, so very different tour, tour for you as a, a not-raving reporter. Um, but you, you've also got an idea, um, because of the circles in which you move, of, of what it will be like for the journalists and, and everyone in the media who will be out there following the race, whether it's from a, a newspaper or from a from a, a TV point of view. Can you, you give us an idea of, of what sort of protocols they will expect? Yeah, it's totally different on the ground this year. So what usually happens at a bike race, and you probably will know this from, from following cycling from afar, I'm talking about the listeners, Graham, obviously you know this, um, is that we usually get right in the thick of everything and we're able to sharpen our elbows and get to the front and speak to riders just as they're coming off their bikes, essentially, speak to the DSs, engage that, that the highs and lows as soon as they've happened. So what will happen, however, is that they are obviously accommodating the, the journalists and the media as much as possible. And there will be, as I understand it, some sort of corridor that the riders and, and everyone involved in the team will have to go through to get to their buses at the end of a stage. So everyone will have to pass and, and the journalists will have their pens there. So it'll almost be like like an Oscars red carpet, if you like, every day. And the journalists will have to just shout out to whoever's going past that they want to speak to. There will be, you know, pre-arranged interviews involved in that as well. But it'll be a case of grabbing people as they go past. And hopefully, um, you know, the riders understand the game, if you like, of, of the media coverage. And, and usually they're more than happy to speak to, to journalists after a stage. So hopefully they'll still come over and, and have a quick word as much as possible. So it will still be a, a, as instantaneous as it can be and certainly more immediate than almost any other sport. But it will look and feel slightly different to usual, yeah. As we said, you're talking to us from um, your home in the Netherlands. We're talking on on the day that Team Ineos's squad has been announced. Um, so I, I just want to pick this up with you, um, partly because uh, it, it took you by surprise um, almost probably later than anybody. <laughs> yeah, it did. Only because I have a writing deadline today. So I, um, I file a regular column for Metro newspaper and my column this month was on the tour build-up. So I set my alarm for 5am this morning, took a quick scan of the news, which is 4am UK time, nothing new. The latest reports this morning suggested that Team Ineos wouldn't be announcing their squad until next week. I thought, I'm safe. I'm going into my little writing bubble and I won't emerge until it's filed. A few hours later, I discovered that everything I'd been writing for the last few hours was completely redundant. My whole speculation was based on uh, Chris Froome and Geraint Thomas not winning another Tour de France this year. I was correct in that prediction, but that prediction will never make print um, because obviously they haven't made the Ineos squad. And it's a funny one, isn't it? Because after the initial shock and surprise, and I think that, I think shock is a fair enough assessment of how most people reacted to it. Immediately, everybody's coming in and saying, oh, you know, it's what we expected anyway. And certainly no real surprise with Chris Froome. Um, but we're disappointed about Geraint Thomas. That's a general reaction in social media. I'm sorry, no real surprise about the four-time Tour de France winner. I was surprised. I was very surprised that he was left out of the squad and Geraint Thomas. And of course, they didn't show the form at the Dauphiné in particular that um, certainly the Gabriel Rash, the DS, would have wanted them to show. 
But there was so much speculation as to whether that was kidology of the highest degree on the part of Dave Brailsford. And actually, they were keeping something in reserve for the Tour de France. Either way, I fully expected to see them on the start line. Um, and it's certainly a surprise to me, at least, that they're not there, whatever anybody else says. Yeah, the first time that we won't see them um, in the race since 2009. Um, so it, it has got that feeling of, um, are, we, are we entering a new era here? And there'll be very few British riders in the race too. Yeah, we're entering a very new era indeed. And it's it's an era that, that Team Sky, as they were then, ushered in. Absolutely. You know, when they started in 2010, their aim was to have a British winner of the Tour de France within five years, an audacious aim back then. Of course, it's one they achieved within three years. And, and they populated their teams quite deliberately with British riders. I'm not sure how much of that was patriotism and how much of it was... Um, ambition. It hadn't been done before. It was it was something audacious. It was something completely new. And they've proven that they could do it. And I guess they don't need to prove that anymore. They've done it over and over and over again. They've had British winners of the Tour de France and, and a Colombian thrown in for good measure last year. Certainly, it feels like there is a changing of the guard anyway within cycling, as there always is. These things are cyclical. And Team Ineos has got a much younger feel these days. They are signing fewer British riders. You know, Theo Gagan-Hart maybe being that exception, Eddie Dunbar the Irish rider but it's new in a way but at the same time Brailsford so Dave Brailsford has always been very openly I think ruthless about his ambition to win the Tour de France however he can do that I guess he's been blessed as well with a generation of riders who were able to do that with the right support I don't think it'll be much of a surprise really to many that that he's gone with where he feels the talent and the form lies rather than the passport But I do think for British fans, it will be a disappointment, certainly. There's one rider now in Team Ineos taking to the start line, Luke Rowe. Uh, We will have others, of course, but but I think the heyday of multiple British riders at the Tour de France seems to be over for now, at least. As I say, these things are cyclical. It will come back. Mm. Give us your pick then. Who's, uh, Who's your tip for yellow and who's your dark horse? Oh, man. Tip and dark horse. Um... It's really hard to see past Primoz Roglic, you know. Yeah, he crashed out of the Dauphiné, but he has proven repeatedly now that he can take those knocks and he can get back up again. He's got the mental fortitude, we now know, to, to win a Grand Tour. The the question mark for me around him will be his team, which sounds remarkable, given that just a week ago we were saying that Jumbo Visma were the new team and he also all Team Sky. Tom Dumoulin isn't as strong as we wanted him to be. Um, I say we, general, you know, neutral cycling fans. Um, I thought you were talking on behalf of your adopted country Dutch. for a second there. <laughs> well, well, there is that, Graham. I'm not going to lie. The Dutch know how to party, right? If there was a Dutch-flavoured victory at the Tour de France, I'm telling you, I'm not going to be sad about that. We'll be on the canal celebrating. You'd be in the right place after all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, they're going to take encouragement from from Sepp Kuss's performance at, at the Dauphiné for sure. And I, and I think for me, Primoz Roglic is still the favourite. In terms of dark horses, not that dark, but I'm, be, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how Richard Carapaz gets on. Um, he and Egan Bernal have only ridden together at the Tour of Colombia this year. And we know that, that Ineos, Sky, as they were, like to build their team over the course of the year. Everybody's year is completely different. But it's certainly not a carbon copy of the Dauphiné squad as we would be used to seeing. And it's Carapaz's first Tour de France, you know, and he's coming in as 
not quite co-leader, but but almost. So I'd be really curious to see what he does there. And that, I think, will depend an awful lot on what really is going on with Egan Bernal's back as well. But um, yeah, there's, there are going to be so many plots and subplots. Who I would really, really, really love to pick as my dark horse would be Thibaut Pino. Um, I don't think I'm going to be alone in that. But just watching him going back to the front again at the Dauphiné just got my heart soaring. I just think the emotion he would bring to um, a, a, another strong Tour de France, if he made it all the way to Paris, that would be just wonderful. I'm not sure he could make it, but just for emotion's sake, maybe I'll say Thibaut Pino actually. It does feel like it's about time we had a French winner. Yeah. Orla, thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak to us. Um, the tour will still be the tour, as they say, despite the various changes that, that we can all expect. Uh, we look forward to seeing and hearing more from you on Eurosport and on the Bradley Wiggins show um, when the peloton departs Nice on Saturday, August the 29th. Um, until then, I'll say thank you for joining me and, uh, and we look forward to seeing and, and hearing more from you soon. Thank you, Graham. I absolutely can't wait. See you soon. Brad, always good to hear from Aura talking about not being back at the tour. Uh, you're not going to be back there either. No, no. And it's going to be a strange one for all of us, isn't it? Including the riders at the race, you know, with, with the way the crowd structures and stuff are going to go. We're going to miss Aura, you know. I learned a lot from her last year and um, it's going to be a bit odd, you know, working like that. But everyone's got to make change how they work and operate and I'm sure we'll get the job done. But yeah, I mean, it, I'm actually quite disappointed that, you know, we're not going to be out there um, like last year and on the bike because I really loved that. I always said it was a highlight of my cycling career. and It's a shame I'm not going to be able to do that. I mean, um, they could probably get me on like a treadmill on a bike and with a green screen or something. But it would be We'll nice. see what we can work out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's the same for everyone. It's been a, been a strange year and probably quite a difficult year for a lot of people that suffered from the corona. So, uh, you know, safety first and all that. And as I say, it's, it's, it's not really about us. We've got to try and Feedback to the viewers the best way possible. What's happening in the race? You are well liked by the French, though, by, by yeah, French television. Like, I mean, I'm, for an Englishman, especially. No, I love, I mean, I, I had six great years there. I really bought into the culture in France. And, you know, I learned dialect French. I never got entered for French GCSE or anything like that when I was at school. And I went there and didn't speak any French and, and learned sort of um, local dialect French from the north of France. And it's not in any, it's a bit like going to Newcastle and learning how to speak English. And I kind of, so I speak in French on TV and stuff like, you know, like in dialect really. So I can kind of still put my comedy into it and that. And um, they seem to love it. And um, it, it's, it's great. Just picking up on uh, another uh, talking point from Orla there. She mentioned Tom Dumoulin. And he's sort really of gone spoke un- about him, have we? Well, he's sort of gone under the radar, yeah. hasn't he? We haven't put too much pressure on him in terms of where he's come back. Because I forget how bad his crash was last year. Um, and he's quite quiet, Tom, you know, he doesn't, all the, the attention has been on maybe Chris Froome's recovery and, and not so much on Tom's, but he was up there with the Dauphiné, wasn't he? He was looking good. And, and obviously if Roglic isn't able to perform at the tour for, for, you know, as a result of his crash, we've always got Tom. Um, and I would not put it past Tom to surprise us on that last stage in the Planche de Belfi in the time trial. I mean, I think it could come down to that. And, um, Tom could hide away in the wheels all week um, and, and surprise us. He seems to be riding himself into form. So you mentioned the Dauphiné there. So whereas we saw Froome and Thomas going backwards, mm. we saw Tom Dumoulin seemingly getting stronger. Mm. Yeah. You know what it's like going into the tour on peak form. What's it going to be like for Tom coming into the tour? He doesn't necessarily know how it's going to shape up for him over the course of three weeks. He's got a good idea um, about a one-week race. 
And I mean, obviously, the, it was the Dauphiné was nothing but mountains. How's Tom going to be approaching a grand tour here? Um, I mean, he's cool-headed, isn't he? He's, um, he's laid back, very professional, focused on what he does. Um, and he's just takes things at his stride. And I think that's what makes him so good as well, aside from the physical aspects. He's, um, he's in a Dutch team. He's got great guys around him. Um, he's a likable guy, gets on with people. Um, he hasn't got a huge ego, you know, and he'll do his job where asked and where necessary, but I think the team will protect him quite well as well. You know, they won't expose him too much. They'll leave him to the end and, and keep him as much in the fray as possible um, behind Roglic. Um, and they'll, they'll, they won't heap the pressure on him. Obviously, at the, the, the attention is on Roglic, who's probably going better than Tom, you have to say. But if something happens to Roglic, like it did at the Giro last year, you know, as a result of his accident, I'm sure Tom will be ready to step up to the plate. What do we expect from Jumbo Visma that first weekend? So, I mean, straight away, the, the first stage, you've got a couple of categorised climbs. Then on day two, you've got two category one climbs. Uh, from the point of view of the riders going into it, I mean, if you're Jumbo Visma, if you're Ineos, are you gunning for yellow from the start? No, 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 no. I think safety, getting around, staying in the front, you know, there's some. It's similar to the last stage in Paris Nice. I think a lot. So there's a lot of a lot of small roads and things coming off them climbs up in out the back of Nice. It's going to be nervous. You know, teams are going to be doing their trains across the road and wanting to stay in the front. Um, and that's going to be the focus and just making it to the finish safe in the front. I think there's going to be there's going to be a lot of gaps as well. So you know, we could see a, gr a group of 20, 30 riders coming in at the front, um, and everyone will want to be in that. All the top riders and um, you know, whoever if you win and take yellow as a result of it then it's great. But you won't look to defend the yellow for the rest of the, the, rest of the three weeks. But um, it's going to be a nervous weekend. The Tour gets more and more nervous every year. Riders, you know, with the more crashes that happen in the early weeks over the Tours in the past, the following year, there's even more emphasis on staying in the front. And um, it's, it's, it's great for us to watch, but um, not the best ones to ride. Certainly very, very nervous. Okay, well, we look forward to talking more about the first stage of the tour as well as... The women's race, the La Course. Which... La Course. And we, uh, yeah, so we'll be back with more from the women's peloton next weekend. Uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport. Thanks to our sponsor, as ever, Lacquer. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Uh, we can follow you on social media at... So we go. So we go. You can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. We should also, because uh, he's been very patient with us once again, thank our producer, Podcast Pete. Podcast Pete. Yeah, thank you, Podcast Pete. Pete Burton, thanks, Peter. Pete Burton. Uh, and finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share your thoughts, rate us wherever you pod. Brad, we'll see you next week for the course. Yeah, can't wait. Tour. Can't wait. Can't wait. See you then. See you later. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.